Yate, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. My name is Zanaba, aka the Indigenous Hippie, aka the Crazy Cat Lady with over 100 cats, aka Worm Mom, and aka Zamba, the newly licensed Zumba instructor. Zamba has been um, my one of my other nicknames, and it's spelled just like Zumba. <laughs> All right, on. Bring in the dance moves. <laughs> Shaniko, want to go next? Good evening, everyone. This is Shanika, a.k.a. Um, Sky, a.k.a. Gazi Girl, a.k.a. Wing Stealer. <laughs> awesome. And we're gonna, last but not least, we have Amber. Yate, it's Amber Gaddy, a.k.a. Ambo, a.k.a. White Supremacy Destroyer, a.k.a. Wi-Fi Catcher. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi Catcher. Dang, we're getting creative over here. I'm like, uh, you guys like outdid me this time. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for everyone tuning in. This is our Social Justice Fellowship Podcast. This is episode five. And we're going to be talking about the history of uranium on Navajo. We kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, we touched upon it in the last few episodes, um, but we kind of want to just dive a little bit deeper into what uranium is. How has it affected us over the years? Um, a lot of people, even my in Gallup, don't know what uranium is. Um, and like um, Amber was talking about, uh, Church Rock, Church Rock, New Mexico is located about five miles outside of Gallup, and they had the largest uh, radioactive spill in U.S. history, and that's declared by the U.S. EPA. And so that spill has, has, how would you say it, just flipped upside down the Church Rock community, Redwater Pond community. Um, people have been relocated because of the mine, because of the uh, high levels of uh, radiation in the community. Um, that community is um, currently trying to do some cleanup from the mines that were there. And there's some remnants of it still there. So they're trying to do some cleanup. And um, thankfully, in that community, there are signs that um, dictate where all the mines are. There, there are fences in this community that actually tell you that there's radiation. Um, and some of the communities are blocked off because of that high level radioactive material. And so we're going to just dive deeper into that type of world and what uranium is, how it affects our community. Um, we're gonna have Amber just kind of lay down some facts about uranium. And this is um, a fact sheet that, um, uh, this is a fact sheet that is from, opening it up right now. I believe it's from the actual EPA website where we're getting our facts from. 
Um, but if Amber, if you could just read off some of the bullet points from it. Uranium is a natural metal element found in rock, soil, and water. Radiation is the release of energy and particles from uranium and certain other elements. If you have contact with high levels of uranium or radiation, it can cause health problems. Because of uranium mining in the past, some soil, rock, water, and structures on the Navajo Nation have unsafe levels of uranium and radiation. You can take steps to protect yourself from contact with uranium. Yeah, so those are just some quick facts about what it actually is. Um, and uranium in Navajo, I believe there's Mr. Charlie was saying that there's estimated about a thousand abandoned uranium mines on Navajo. And that's just an estimate of the ones that they do have reportings of. And a yeah. lot of the mines are like undocumented. Mm -hmm. There's no like, um, like map to locate any of these mines. And a lot of those mines, they were uh, owned by foreign corporates, corporate entities as well. So the they wouldn't go under like the federal regulations most of the time, especially out here on the Navajo res reservation. Um, union, unionizing out here on the reservation has been uh, banned by our own tribal government. So it was really hard for miners to get together and talk about these issues as well. Yeah, and um, just for some folks that don't really know the history on, on Navajo on how it was created and the purpose of our nation, of Navajo Nation, in about the 1920s, we were actually created as Navajo Nation. We did... Um, officially become like a sovereign nation. I'm like sovereign. <laughs> and in the 1920s, they needed some sort of uh, legal way to actually do these exchanges of land to have these corporate uh, companies come here and actually mine and do these extraction um, type of industry, whether it was coal or gas or um, uranium. So our government is basically built just to make those types of transactions for economic development or whatever. Um, that was the purpose of creating the Navajo Nation. And so since then, um, in the 1940s, the, um, we started seeing an increase of uranium mines coming to Navajo and developments of uranium. And majority of, of the, mines that were open and the, the uranium ore that was um, extracted, it was used for World War II, it was used for, you know, weaponry, um, so many different things it was used for and it was not used for the purpose of Navajo or any type of energy resource, um, everything was being transported from our homelands to other like milling sites or other um, sites where they made bombs. And at that time, if people don't know, even New Mexico history, um, New Mexico is also known for 
the Trinity site. We also have Los Alamos National Laboratories. There's um, Manhattan Project that happened there that created the, the bombs. So all New Mexico history and kind of correlates with like the history on Navajo one. The, I guess just the impact in the 1940s in uranium, that's when it pretty much just like really took off. In the 50s, they saw like a huge increase again in the production of uranium and the cost of uranium. But at that same time, um, by like 1949, there was a pay stub where the workers were getting paid either 84, 81 cents an hour to a dollar an hour. And that was in 1949. And that just shows this, I don't know, I mean, that's just one thing that uh, our, our families had to go through was just, um, they didn't have, they weren't being properly paid. The other thing was when folks were getting recruited to work at the mines, they weren't um, educated on the long-term effects of being exposed to uranium or the radiation. Um, there's, so many stories just from that time where folks are building their homes from the remnants of the mines. And those homes were um, built literally with like mine, with like uranium inside the rocks. And um, I mean, these are, these are stories that a lot of people don't really know about uh, Navajo and how it was created. And when you think about 1940s, like that's almost a hundred years ago. And that really like puts things in perspective for me and that just this history is just not too long ago. It's just right there. Our grandparents were um, going through this, you know, going through this. Um, for me, I feel like it was just a form of genocide from the way I see it is in the first place we were, we were not being told um, what we were getting ourselves into. We were not told the um, environmental and health effects, impacts from uranium mining. We weren't even paid correctly during this whole time. Um, and through all of these, all of these experience, um, I believe in the 19, let's see here, there was an act that was passed, which is called Let me see here. I'm gonna have to take a look at that. I'm like, it's the RICA acronym. Oh, yeah. um, do you remember the acronym for it? I just know the last break this conversation. Well, this part's gonna be edited out. <laughs> um, but so much has been done in you know these past like 80 years or so. Uh, we finally are able to get legislation passed to get compensation for uranium workers. But there's still so much to do around the cleanup, around educating, um, still educating our communities about the health effects. And I just want to read just quickly just some of the health impacts that um, some researchers were able to find. Um, some of the health impacts from uranium mine do include lung disease, respiratory disease, 
retinal cancer, retinal failure, and other chronic retinal disease such as nymph. Oh my gosh, my oh. Nephritis. Nephritis. <laughs> oh my gosh, nephritis and kidney and tubal uh, tissue industry. It, oh my gosh, I can't even read right now. And kidney tubal tissue injury. There you go. <laughs> oh my gosh, getting all tongue tied over here. And the other impacts include um, lymphomas and primary cancers of the thyroid, male and female um, breast cancers. It looks like um, esophagus and, and stomach cancer, um, small intestine, pancreas, bile ducts, gallbladder, salivary glands, urinary bladdery, bladder, your brain, your colon, ovary, your liver, and your lung and or your lungs. And those are like just some, I mean, that could be, it seems like that's like they named your whole body. <laughs> like, I'm just like, wow. And, you know, these are studies. We'll um, put the links also for the podcast for the um, articles that we're reading off of. But um, that just names just a few of the health impacts, just the health impacts that affect humans. That's just one impact. Um, I just want to just quickly share before I open up the discussion for everybody else. But one of the traditional stories around uranium is that we knew in our traditional stories that uranium was something that needed to be, that needed to stay in the ground because we already have a form of yellow um, substance, which is our corn pollen that actually uh, is our life source. It's our corn pollen pathway. It's a whole lifestyle of giving offerings and blessings. And um, it's a big part of our life, our corn pollen and our corn. And there's so many stories behind doing those offerings. And that um, we always knew that there is a balance to our world and whatever is in the ground, you know, it's there for a reason. And whatever comes from the earth, you know, it's we have stories about that as well. And one of those creation stories was that is that we leave uranium in the ground and that if it were to come up, there were consequences. And you know, there's and those are things that we're dealing with now. Um so with that, uh, I just want to open it up to our fellows here because each of us here in this circle is we are impacted by uranium in some way, some form, our families, our land, and our communities have been impacted by this monster. So I just wanted to just go around the room, um, whoever wants to go first and just kind of just talk about, you know, their experience um, around this issue. I can go. <clears throat> you indigenous hippie. <laughs> uh, to, to start off, um, you know, my direct connection to uranium is uh, my dad. He is a kidney cancer survivor. Um, and we believe that, again, kidney cancer and any damages to the kidneys are tied to um, uranium 
waste and pollution. Um, and so my dad's family on both sides, his father's side is Navajo from the Tuba City area. So my Nollies, they're in that side, the Arizona side of the reservation. And we, we've often visited them and they, um, some of them moved to Phoenix, some of them moved to Flagstaff, they're all over the place. My dad was born in Sacatone, Arizona. So they know that the whole Tucson side, they know it very well. Um, but as kids, you know, my, my dad and my, my nollies are always telling me these stories of them being kids and playing out in these, um, these dumping sites or contaminated sites where there used to be, you know, uranium um, mining going on. And there was no signs, there was no hazard signs, no, um, no one letting people know that there was radioactive um, waste right there. Um, there was abandoned buildings that were contaminated. And again, these were all childhood play sites for all of that family. And not just my, um, my dad's father's side, but also my dad's mother's side, my Mexican family. You know, they made their way from Mexico up to that side of Arizona. So my um, great-grandpa, my Mexican great-grandpa, he was living in Tuba City, well-known. And, you know, that's where they raised their kids. And he had um, a, a Mexican wife who passed away. That was my, my um, Chanela Assan, her mom. So she passed away when my Nana was very young. Um, and then he got two other wives after that, a Hopi wife and a Navajo wife. So I have a big family in Tuba City, very diverse. And, um, but again, same thing, they they came to a point where they knew like, oh yeah, there's uranium over, uranium over there. But I was talking to them and it was like, they weren't scared of it. They didn't know it was associated to um, negative impacts on your health. They didn't know like the contamination and pollution was that bad. Um, <clears throat> and some few years ago, we got um, a sheep from our Tuba City Nollies and brought it back home to you know, Tulsa Guy Twin Lakes, New Mexico. And that sheep was a monster. <laughs> it was three times bigger than the sheep my grandma raises is right next door to us in Tulsa Guy. And we're like, you know what? That's a uranium sheep. It's as big as our dining table. <laughs> and it was, we named it dinner, um, but we, we butchered it and and it was, it was crazy. We're like, this has to be, you know, an, a, another way that uranium is affecting, you know, life on this planet, not just humans getting diseases and cancers of various types, but it's messing with our, our animals and the water. And that, that's pretty much, you know, my connection to uranium and again, um, it is very shocking to me learning about the church rock spill and you share that fact at all these conferences like you ask do you know where the the you know the U.S. Um, had the largest uranium contamination spill and no one really knows like it could and can identify where it's at and then you tell them it's on a reservation of all places then they're like shocked they're like and your people are just living there like how come you guys can't move and it's like they have no idea how deep our roots are to our ancestral homelands and it wasn't contaminated well you know before 1492 
because our Navajo ancestors knew how to live in balance with the land and like the, the stories Crystal shared, we knew that in everything in the ground, uranium, oil, um, fossil fuels, those were all elements to be respected and left in the ground, left in the soil. Um, and again, unfortunately, um, colonizers saw that as means of wealth and for their own benefit, dug it up and they're still digging it up to the point of still destroying our lands, um, still contaminating and there's not gonna be much left. And, you know, it's, it's just really sad. So I hope someday that that will stop soon. And I know <clears throat> I've been taking Navajo language classes and learning how, you know, these names came about. Um, so sand in Navajo or dirt is leige and yellow is hlezo. So we watched the film at the Uranium um, Film Festival they had a few years ago. <clears throat> and they were saying tota hlezo. So hlezo is uranium, yellow dirt. Um, so I think we just really have to, a lot of the work we're doing with videos and podcasts, we can educate our elders, educate our youth, educate everyone in between. Like uranium is serious, it's dangerous. Um, and so that's, that's just something I'm hoping again that we can continue to, um, you know, tell our people like, hey, we need to wake up, we need to do something. We can't just keep letting our children play in these contaminated sites. It's got to stop. Uh, thank you for sharing your your story with your family and and with your um, uranium sheep. <laughs> Gee. Oh, that's like, thank you. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know the state of New Mexico is considered the most toxic state, state in the United States. And here they come here for tourism of seeing all these, you know, native things and they have no idea it's a toxic dump dump land you know like and they're still transporting radioactive um stuff on on these semi trucks someone just posted on facebook not even a week ago like they're not even they're transporting it intentionally right through our ancestral homelands on our reservation because if there's a car accident who's gonna get um you know who's gonna get their their health you know compromised Exactly. It's like all the all those things, you know, especially transportation and I-40 is such a busy road. It's like the mother road, I guess, from like California to wherever Chicago, I guess. But that's a it's a busy road. And to have things like that traveling just freely in our neighborhoods, um, it does raise like so much concern and you know, for the Navajo Nation, there is a moratorium on uranium, but, um, you know, just recently, too, I heard that they were trying to start uranium again and start mining, mm -hmm. um, and that was, I think, before the pandemic, there were, there were some public speaking, there's some public meetings around it, and, um, but a lot of people are concerned about the cleanup, and, um, I mean, the spill in Church Rock, you know, it happened in the 70s. And we're still talking about cleanup today and, you know, in like 21st century. And it's, uh, it's, it kind of, it just makes me wonder like how much longer do we have to wait to get our voices heard, to get this cleanup? 
Um, and, you know, we don't want another community to like receive our, our radioactive material. So it's so much that I feel like we have to like really like look at and talk about um, together. Um, Shanika or Amber, did you wanna mm, yeah. say a little bit of words? Yeah, I feel like when talking about uranium mining, it, it's, it becomes overwhelming, but it is such an underrated topic, like across the board, which I feel like should just be, it should be one of the, our, our, ma our most major issues because it, it stems and seeps out into, into the generation. I mean, how long it, outlives us alone. I'm like, it needs to stay in the ground. I mean, we are not going to outlive radioactivity. So I feel like, you know, when this was all happening in the 40s, the 1940s, it was because of, you know, it was very um, a war-based mentality. You know, that was during the Cold War during a time when it was a race of arms and people were trying to like develop weapons quickly, especially when it came to the atom bomb and the Manhattan Project. And for the government to really, um, you know, back then it was very ultra super secret. So the, at the time that these, um, the areas where they were gaining, getting the, the uranium and also where they were enriching uranium, I don't, I honestly believe that they were, it was intentional that they would not tell these people what they were working with, what they were working on. And that was also done because it was that sense of national security. Um, so when it comes to uranium, I feel like that is where they did that exchange. They exchange the lives of these miners and their families. And it's not only the Navajo Nation, but this was across. Um, this also happened at other milling sites where they would enrich and process their uranium you know, workers were not told at that time during the Cold War. A lot of that was only knowledge that was um, passed around to the higher ups who were developing it all. But everything else, I feel like they were all bee workers, you know, just going out and getting the uranium, sending it off and getting a paycheck, going home. That was that, that was that kind of living. And at that time for the Navajo people, that is when we were switching to a wage-based economy. So before that prior, our economy was very, um, it was, we had a sheet-based economy with the traders, we would trade our wool and, you know, get our goods. Um, that's, that's, that, that was our, our currency, was our sheep. And that was also our food. Um, <clears throat> I feel like with, uh, at that time for, for us as NAPOs, they had that, um, livestock reduction 
And that was also a way to undermine that type of economy because it was not um, uh, the national economy. So at that time, the Navajo people, they were looking for work. That was the only type of work that was available out around these areas was mining. So I feel like it, it was sort of set up that way that we, we needed them to provide for ourselves because, you know, that was also in a way reinforced back then when we had to do the, when the Navajos went on the long walk, um, we were held in concentration camps and given um, those concentration foods it was to, to cut us off from our way of living, which was living with the land and knowing what to eat from the land, especially being out here in the desert. You know, if you're, if you, if you don't know what types of food in the desert, then yeah, you're just in the desert with no food. But if you have the knowledge of the land, then you're in a desert filled, filled with food. So, <clears throat> I think, you know, back then it, it, it was to really like get us on that track of being, you know, colonized for us being uh, deetered onto that way of um, you need to go out and get a job, provide for yourself so you can buy these necessities because they are no longer around you freely that you were used to be able to get in this way. You have to come to us to get this now. And this is the only way you should be eating. And that that's that's how I feel like we were bamboozled too, because a lot of the ways back then was like, okay, well, we have to catch up now, where that was not the mentality where we were living in. We were already living in harmony. We were already living in peace. But at that time, you know, that that way of living for, you know to have uh, that real strong sense of, of um, I wanna say like a blood ties to those sheep and to get that cutting off, that is traumatic. That is very traumatic. Um, that's something I've heard about in my family with one on my dad's side out in wide rooms. My, grand, my great, great, great Nolly, Nolly man, he used to own hundreds, a herd of hundreds of sheep. They used to say it would click, it would fill the whole valley up to the hill of just like sheep. And, you know, he, he had so much sheep, he was looked at as like that, the wealthy one. And so what the BIA, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, what they ended up doing was they drove out to my Nolly man while he was out herding sheep. And they threw him in the truck and they locked him in and then they divided up the sheep amongst all the families out in white rooms. And that, that's just something that I, 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 am <clears throat> I remember because, you know, thinking about it, I'm like, gosh, that is so traumatic to just almost the way we take care of our, our, our animals, like Zenaba saying, our four-legged relatives, that's the way we we talk about them, the way we address them as relatives. It's it's seeing them as equals just as us because we inhabit the same space. So it's it's thinking and respecting them that that same way. So for my Nolly man, I could imagine him just seeing him lose his family 
seeing family members get sectioned off. And, you know, they always say when it comes to colonization, whoever's in control of the food is in control of the, those people. So I feel like a lot of that uranium mining, it is, it, it is very intentional that, that um, the degradation it has caused and the destruction it has caused. And coming back, you know, to these dates, the 1940s, and knowing that that was also around the time that the Hiroshima bomb was dropped. And, you know, knowing now how that, that was derived from uranium, it was produced, made, could have been used from here, who knew? For us as the being indigenous people, we value all life. We value all life. And if we knew back then, if it was explained to us that what you're pulling from the earth is gonna kill thousands and thousands of people, we would have not done it. It would have been, nobody would have been mining in those lands. We would have been outraged. We would have been outraged that they're they're out here, that they want to be out here because they can't regulate the same way that they would be if they were on federal land. So for me, I just I see that connection of like that cycle of death, that you know how those at that atom bomb, how it created such destruction. And then we still feel those same effects coming back through, even through cancer. Um, I feel like that's something on the Navajo Nation that is that is really um, on the rise. Um, you know, and even when we talk about cancer, it's 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 your whole body being in an acidic environment. You know, when we talk about beings of water. Um, for us, um, there's there's like different levels of alkalinity with water. Um, for the more acidic water, that is, I feel like all the um, where there's no like oxygen in water, where there's uh, types of bacteria can be produced and can thrive when there's no water. You know, you want to think of like a pond, and you. If you look in a pond, it's just all like scum, scummy. But if you think of like a real high alkaline of water, that that would be like a river. A river would have a real high alkalinity because there'd be oxygen present. And for, for people out here, I feel like, especially, you know, how much diabetes we have on the Navajo Nation, that too, it's, it's just really concerning um, how much we don't know about our own nutrition, like uh, what we're eating from the supermarkets. Um, I do think that um, going back to uh, growing our food and eating our, our um, you know, our corn, our beans, and our squash that that that's where our healing comes from
But when, you know, currently now, if you want to move back to the reservation and start growing your own food, you have to think, well, is there radioactivity in the soil? Because, you know, 1979, that's not too long ago that that spill happened. So 94 million gallons of that toxic waste went down the wash. And if you look at that wash currently, it's all dried up. And it, it, it like gets very windy out here, like super windy. So all that is just, you know, flying around. And so that's the kind of things that me and my sister, we talk about when we come out here is like, well, if you're gonna, if you wanna grow food, you're gonna have to start getting into soil remediation. And that's where it's like, well, environmental justice comes up. Um, that's where it's, it, it, I think it's very concerning because I want, I want my niece and nephews to be able to live out here healthy, and to see this as a way of, of healing this life that we, that our grandparents lived, and the life that they prayed continue, that we continue to live, which is, you know, and it's seeing, seeing yourself in the land. Like so many good points you talked about, you know, like even the water too. Like we talk about the the land and identifying good land, good soil. You even start thinking about where am I going to get the clean water next? Yeah. Like, is there a clean access point for water? Yeah, and like, and yeah, and that's what I was thinking about was like um, even just accessing water because of you know what happened during COVID and the pandemic where we live. We usually haul from our local water uh, windmill, but the traffic was just so busy. The windmill dried up within like two. I don't know. I want to even want to say two months. I want to say like three weeks into the pandemic, it dried up. It was completely dry and it hasn't been like that in a while. So I was just like, oh my God, I wonder how the other windmills are doing then. If people know this one's dry, then you know they're moving to the next one. So I feel like for us, even during this this like pandemic, you could see how the water tables probably really like just got low. Took a big hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like it's we were just trying time. to like figure out like just, you know making sure we had enough water to like survive. But now it's like, now we have to wash your hands and like always have to have water. And like looking at it now, it's like, wow, this is, it really messed up our whole way of life. When I think about it, you know, like every little aspect it has like infiltrated and disturbed. And like, now we're just, I feel like all of us. I think it really highlighted what's not been working. What's, yeah. what's not, what's not been working. Um, I think um, even with our elderlies, I feel like it was, it was, uh, it was really concerning, like um, figuring out the care, who's going to care for our elderlies, who's going to be doing the visits. And um, not only that, it was uh, a lot of them had to put themselves at risk to go out and go shopping because they don't have young, younger family members to go out and get food 
or to have um, organizations nearby to come and drop off food. So I know a lot of them really had to like still do it for themselves. Yeah, and can still have to like fight for survival. Mm -hmm. um, Shamika, did you have any um, anything to add? Um, yeah, I just want to say that um, I learned a lot trying to do my filming in Sanasti. Uh, my dad had taken me up the road uh, that goes to the mine, um, but we didn't go all the way. <laughs> um, but he talked about how um, as a little boy, you know, like my boys are nine and the other one's four. So he's like somewhere in between there, my grandparents would um, herd the sheep up the mountain for the summer. And um, there's a sheep camp up there that he showed me that I never knew about. Um, and it's right beside the road, the mining road. And he would tell me that as a little boy, he would see these huge trucks, you know, bringing ore back down the mountain. And it's really rocky. Um, and while we were up there near his sheep camp, there's like, um, like Anna says it, like sites, like here and there, all the way up that road. Um, there's broken pottery along the way. So like, um, and then people's livestock, you can see like fresh, like cow pies following that road all the way down. So like, there's still like a lot of, um, you know, wildlife and people's livestock that go down in that area. Um, and my dad would tell me that they would have another sheep camp near the mine and all these people, you know, would be working and those trucks would be going up and down. And then it just, you know, back then he's a little boy. So he was telling me that he would like, you know, play with the rocks like the yellow dirt, you know, pick them up, carry them around. And he didn't, you know, he didn't know what it was. Um, and then that canyon, I was reading an article, um, and we can put it in the link too, but those mines are named after permit holders, like Carl Yazzie is my grandpa. And then the other one, I think it's like Carl Yazzie number three or two. And then the other one, Enish Johnson, number one. And that's my grandma's cousin. And so like things like that, I've never knew about um, how they were linked, you know, and they have it all written down in articles. And I think one of them said that Enish Johnson was like the largest, um, one of the largest mines in New Mexico. And so that's, you know, that really hit hard and I had to tell my dad and he's like, yeah, that's, um, you know, your grandma's cousin and um, it's just named after their permit and the ores that they, dish, you know, took to Shiprock to the, um, to the station, it was uh, distributed under his name. So like all that ore is, he's, Enos Johnson is listed as a distributor, you know, so that I just find that really crazy. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a lot of information and 
there's still a lot of digging that I have to do. I need to go back and interview my auntie. She's been really busy and I haven't been able to do that. But um, so my auntie told me that the water comes down from the mine into the canyon, you know, and that canyon um, runs down and a lot of people, you know, they used to drink from that. Um, livestock drink, livestock drinks from that water, and um, and then there's a water table that uh, water comes out of like a a pipe, and it just runs and runs and runs. And I've tried to ask where that water comes from, but nobody knows. And when you have a chance, I'll show you the video, or if you want to see it now, you can share my screen. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of history. Um, in Sanofi there. Share your screen. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Um, make you a host. Yeah. So there's a lot of history in Sanofi that, you know, I'm finding out about. That is so much information that I didn't even know, like that their names were actually put as distributors. Mm-hmm. Wow. You, you learned a lot. I did. Uh, there's still so much to learn. Okay, let's see. Right here. So that's been running. Uh, can you see the screen? Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so that's been running, you know, ever since I've um, growing up in Sanasti, that water's just been going and going and it's like, <laughs> it's never stopped. I don't know where it comes from, but there's no on or off button to it. Oh my gosh, and it's just literally just a pipe. It's like, how come it's not being saved? That makes me wonder like, what's happening? Oh, look at that pond too. Yeah, so it's it's just um, going and going. And wow. a lot of people come here to um, haul water. Um, like my auntie, she comes here and fills up her buckets. And um, when you come out here, there's always, you know, there's always, always somebody there. Um, and then this is the the road that goes up, you know, people have been on it and there's no signs, no signs at all that tells you there's a mine up this way. Oh my gosh. And that's like so many communities are like that where there are no signs, there are no fencing to let you know, mm -hmm. like you're entering an area that, um, that is radioactive. Yeah. And here's the sheep camp that right beside the mining road and um my dad hasn't been here in a while so he was like yeah these are the rocks that we I would lay a saddle down on and lay on it until it's time to get the sheep going again <laughs> so it was it was a really fun experience wow I'm like so looking forward to your guys's films like well, oh my god well thank you for letting us like have a little sneak peek of some of the footage you guys because that is yeah like like every part of the Navajo it, you know it's all different 
And Sadastia is, is an area that um, I've never really been. I've only been there once and that was to the chapter house. <laughs> and, you know, there's so much history, so much. And I'm so like, I'm so glad that you're able to find um, some stories. So you're going to have um, a chance to interview your auntie to get more of that, that background. Like that is awesome, Shanika. Jeez. Right on, Yazi girl. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Well, this may be our longest episode, I think, because we've been on here for a while. And um, this is normal for us. When we start talking about uranium, there's so much to talk about. At all of our meetings, when we talk about uranium, it, we open up a whole like door to so many other, so many other issues um about our animals about reproductive justice about gender justice about our water about our food systems about so many things that uranium has affected like we have to it, we have to look at everything and today's discussion was just you know highlighting just a little bit of what our communities and what our families have faced but there's so much more that needs to be talked about and as we wrap up this discussion, I would like to have a call to action for our listeners to go out and research and do your own research about uranium, even in your own community. You might not even know there's a uranium site or a nuclear uh, facility by your site, uh, by, your, by your community, I mean. And these are things that we have to start educating ourselves. Um, it's not in the schools. It's, you could maybe, maybe find it in the university, college settings, but a lot of this information you have to go find and look for yourself. So um, I would recommend going to the um, Multicultural Alliance for a Safe Environment website and their MACE for short, but they have so many resources, so much information about how uranium affects us in the Southwest, especially in New Mexico area. Um, so that would be one call to action is do more research on uranium because there's so much more that needs to be said and so much more that needs to be talked about. Um, so with that, thank you everyone. We're almost wrapped up with our first season, with our first season podcast. And our last episode, tune in, we're going to be talking about Mother Earth Week and how we wrapped that up on Navajo. So thank you so much for everyone. Yeah, hagonet.